In just a moment, I'll be uh, reading a passage from Revelation chapter 2, the first seven verses. Uh, This morning, we launch a sermon series simply entitled Overcoming Spiritual Burnout. Uh, It's a concern of mine. I think it's a concern of everyone's that sometimes we get so busy doing the work of God that we have trouble maintaining our relationship with God. And uh, there's a balance between staying busy for Christ and engaged and uh, doing so much that we don't cultivate those things that nourish our relationship and our walk with Him. And so in these weeks, we're going to be uh, dealing with that topic. And the last two Sundays of this series, the last two Sundays of the month, uh, we'll also be taking this up as a topic at our winter Bible study. Uh, the 9.30 hour, we'll be meeting in combined fashion down in the fellowship hall at 9.30 on uh, January 24th and 31st. And we'll be doing some uh, discussion and small group and large group activity around the theme of spiritual burnout to sort of go a little deeper than what is allowed in our uh, Sunday morning sermon time. So uh, in just a moment, I'll read from Revelation chapter 2. But before that, I invite you to bow and join me in a time of meditation, a time of prayer, being in God's presence. Let's be silent in his presence for a few moments. We thank you once again, mighty God, for this mysterious thing called worship, for the privilege of being in your presence and knowing that you come among us to speak to our hearts and to speak to our church and to speak to our world. We acknowledge, God, that as your children, we need times of refreshing. Sometimes our baptismal vows need updating. We need to be refreshed in our walk with you. And to just be really honest and plain about it, sometimes we need a fresh experience in the Holy Spirit to revitalize us. And so we pray that today and in these coming weeks that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us and renew us and revive us. And then along the way, teach us more about neighbor love, what it means to love others even when it's inconvenient, and especially when it's inconvenient, to love and to serve others. Through our prayers today, we bring into your presence uh, the names of people who need healing, those who are ill, those who need healing of relationships, those who are without you and need the, the touch of grace and salvation, for those who grieve and for all of the, the special needs. And we pray today for those who are living out special challenges by serving in the armed forces or serving on the mission field. And pray pray today for our mission partners everywhere that you would fortify them. And we ask God that you come among us as your word is shared and and preached this morning that we will honestly uh, take inventory of our lives, be open to the new that you have for us. Guide us, we pray, and thank you for your love. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand as I read aloud from God's word, Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him 
who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this is to your credit. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Many years ago, there was a very popular magazine that came to our home when I was growing up as a child, Saturday Evening Post, and they always had great stories. They had humorous articles. They had lots of good food for thought. And uh, many years ago, they ran this particular story about the evolution of marriage, what happens to a marriage over time, and uh, taking the example of the wife who catches a cold each year and the husband's response and how the husband's response changes over the years, and I've adapted it slightly to, uh, for the sake of time, but uh, I want you to listen to this. Year one, the wife has the cold. The husband says, sugar dumpling, I'm worried about you. I'll bring you some food, and you just lie there and rest. Year two, the wife has a cold. The husband says, listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I'll call the doctor. Year three, the husband says, Maybe you'd better go lie down. Is there any canned soup I can fix really fast? Year four. Now listen, after you feed the kids and wash the dishes, you should probably lie down. Year five. Why don't you go gargle or something instead of lying around barking like a seal? You're going to give me pneumonia. Did you notice the progression, or should I say, the devolution of the relationship? You know, relationships sometimes do lose their passion. And familiarity does sometimes breed contempt. And that's true of any relationship with spouses. It can happen in the workplace. It can happen in our relationship with God. And uh, there is this thing that happens that it seems like that the more we handle the things of God, they can become worn slick with use And they no longer hold the wonder and the mystery that they used to hold and that they should hold. Uh, If you think about how many times those of us in this this sanctuary uh, have been to church in our lives. And how many times we have sung those beautiful words from Come Thou Fount. uh, Prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I mean, isn't that an honest prayer? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But I want you to recognize that the man who wrote those words 
was born 41 years before the American Revolution, which tells me that loss of spiritual fire and zeal is not a new problem. It's been around for a long, long time. And I want to have an honest conversation together this morning and in the subsequent weeks of this series about spiritual burnout. Uh, I want us to be able to, first of all, acknowledge it and name it. And when we do that, I think the Holy Spirit then has more room to help us with it, rather than if we deny it and pretend like it doesn't happen. And I want us in this time together to avoid two problems. I want us to avoid the problem of excessive guilt. Now, an appropriate amount of guilt is, is scriptural. The Holy Spirit confronting us because we bear some responsibility for the things that happen that cause spiritual burnout. But I want us to avoid the excessive guilt, the, the pile-on guilt, the shame, uh, shaming of one another, um, the, the guilt that manipulates and tries to control uh, ourselves or others in a particular way. And, and uh, I want us to hear grace in the midst of this. The other problem I want us to avoid is the problem of slick, easy answers. As if there's a magic formula for the issue of spiritual burnout. There's not. Uh, We're going to offer a lot of suggestions. But what I want to do with this series is offer us the raw material out of which then you do your own work. Because your situation is unique. I want to offer you the raw material and then in the words of the Apostle Paul from Philippians 2.13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out with the material loaned to you. What are the causes of spiritual burnout? We'll talk about these in several of the weeks, and we won't name all of them this morning. But I think spiritual burnout starts to be a problem because we do not do relationship maintenance. You know, any relationship that's worthwhile requires energy, time, and attention. And one of the reasons that we burn out spiritually is that we do not take seriously uh, the, the relationship maintenance that is required in our walk with God. You don't put it on autopilot. It doesn't work that way with God. It doesn't work that way in any relationship. There is no autopilot. Uh, there is uh, the issue of our inattentiveness uh, that, can, that uh, is a part of that uh, relationship Maintenance, the issue of uh, lack of appreciation, the issue of uh, being preoccupied with things that, that are distracting us. So, lack of relationship maintenance. But, the, but another interesting thing happens on the heels of that. Once we start becoming preoccupied and inattentive, and our heart begins to grow cold, the second mistake we make, the second problem we have is that we start trying to fake it. We come to church and think we have to pretend. We come to church and think we have to put on the facade. We think we're embarrassed. We think we're the only one in the room that has drifted away from the Lord whose heart has grown cold. And so we think we have to fake it to keep up with other people. I want to show you this cartoon. I don't know where it came from, and I hope you can see it well. Uh, Everybody else is ready for church, and Dad's still at the table in his undershirt, eating his breakfast. Hurry up, Ted. You're the only one not ready for church. And everybody else has their masks on. 
and Ted doesn't have his mask on. I know it's cold outside, but folks, smile a little bit. That's funny. Come on. Lighten up. Crying out loud. I mean, is it, do, you, do you get the dripping irony of all that? You know, we, you, get your mask on. Get ready for church. Wouldn't it be nice if church could be a place where we could come together and sit down in our small groups and take off those masks and just say, I've had a stinking week. I'm really hurting. I feel like such a phony. Instead of just coming and all keeping our masks in place. So, the book of Revelation was written, interestingly enough, at a time when the fires were going out in the churches. The book of Revelation is written late in the first Christian century so that some of the new had worn off, plus they were being persecuted, they were being hounded, they were being threatened, and they began to think, you know, maybe this isn't worth all of this. And so the love had grown cold, and in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, there are letters that the risen Christ writes to seven churches of Asia Minor, which is modern-day western Turkey. And Jesus, basically, the risen Christ, puts all of those churches under a microscope and says, this is what I like about you, and this is what is lacking. This is what is good. This is what needs attention. And to the church at Ephesus, he said, you know, you've got some really good things going for you. Uh, He said... uh, In verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You've tested false apostles. Verse 3, I know also that you've endured patiently, bearing up, and not growing weary. He says basically three things he likes about the Ephesians. They work hard. They are doctrinally sound. And they are persistent. They don't quit. Those are the three things that Christ, the risen one, says he likes about the church at Ephesus. Now, folks, that's not bad. I would, on most days, take that and run with it for any church. You work hard, you are doctrinally pure, and you don't grow weary, you just keep at it. That's great. But guess what? It's not enough. You can do all those things and still be spiritually shallow. You can work hard, be doctrinally sound, and be very persistent and still be a shallow disciple. Because what happens if you focus on those three things is that you become legalistic, you focus on private piety, You focus on getting your satisfaction and your jollies from rules and routine and ritual. And as long as those are in place, you become self-satisfied. I read somewhere recently, someone said, you can be as doctrinally pure uh, and your doctrinal purity can be as straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. Your doctrinal purity can be as straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. And so, 
what Jesus is saying to the church is, that's great that you have those things. That's awesome. But by themselves, they're not enough. And so he says, here's the problem, verse 4. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. By the way, the word for abandoned uh, is the same Greek word in the New Testament for divorce. You have forsaken, you have left, you have deserted, you have abandoned your first love. Augustine, that great church teacher of the three and four hundreds A.D., in his confessions said this is the very essence of sin. Disordered love. Love that is, love that is disordered. In other words, love that is confused with its priorities. Confused about its priorities. Disordered love. And when we experience disordered love, problems usually follow. And Augustine was very perceptive in that understanding of sin. Uh, The risen Christ wants his church to know that love for God, love for others has to come first to be able to motivate all of those other things that we do. In order to be able to do those with joy, we have to be in love with Jesus. To do those things with joy, we have to really love and care about other people. Have you noticed this truth yourself, that without love, all work is drudgery? Without love, all work is drudgery. You know, that's true whether you're a a mom taking care of five children, whether you're in your workplace Monday through Friday, whether you're serving in the church, whether you're talking about your marriage relationship, whether you're talking about your relationship with God. Without love, all work becomes just a horrible burden. And did you notice in verse 2, the risen Christ says to the church, I know your works. And we would think, well, that's enough. He knows my works. But in verse 4, he says, I know your heart. You've left your first love. So Jesus, the risen one, doesn't just know our works. He knows our hearts. And both of those things have to be weighed very, very carefully. And so there is a way out that the risen Christ offers the church at Ephesus when this this disordered love happens. And that's found in verse 5. Three things. John Stott lists these for us in a very very helpful way. He had such a way of, of saying things in memorable ways. Remember, repent, and resume. In verse 5. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did before. In other words, resume what you were doing. Remember. Have you ever just stopped and thought back to the day you were first saved? Or the day that the Lord really got a hold of you in your life? Have you ever just stopped and thought about that sweet time in your spiritual life? when you were on fire and enjoying the Lord and couldn't wait to get to your daily Bible study time? Have you ever ever just stopped and thought about those days? Your days of service, your days of joy. Now, I know we all tend to romanticize the past, but Scripture invites us to remember, to look back to those times of zeal, those days of romance, those days of spiritual fire. 
to remember those. And if for no other reason than to measure how far we've drifted. And then he says, repent. You know, we all like to hear repentance sermons when there are revivals and the evangelist is preaching to the unsaved and the unchurched. But the scripture has a lot more to say about believers repenting. Did you know that? And the risen Christ says to the church, repent. And that doesn't mean to feel miserable about your sins. That doesn't mean to regret. It means to change our attitudes, to change our, to change our minds, and to change our actions. Repentance is a change of behavior. It means to turn and walk a different way. It means to, to turn to God. And then to resume. He says, start doing what you used to do. And did you notice the risen Christ didn't say, now wait for a feeling to come. You're going to start feeling better. You're going to start feeling closer to the Lord. And once you start feeling closer to the Lord, then you do what you used to do. It doesn't say that. It says, you remember, you repent, and you start doing the things you used to do. And it's after we start doing the things we used to do that the feeling will come back. The feeling follows the obedience. And God wants us to experience that. What I don't want this morning is for us to go from this place weighed down with shame. What I don't want us to do this morning is to go away from this place feeling overwhelmed at what used to be and what isn't now. Because what I want us to hear is the word of grace from Scripture. I want us to I want us to notice that when the church at Ephesus had grown cold, God didn't X them off and say, I'm done with you. God didn't abandon them. What did God do when the early Christians of Ephesus hearts had grown cold? God moved toward them, not away from them. God wrote them a love letter. Oh, it was an honest love letter, but it was a love letter. When they drifted, God came after them. He didn't shun them. He didn't shame them. He sent them a love letter and said, Come. I want this relationship with you worse than you do. He's a God of grace. He's the God of the resurrection. We are people of the resurrection. Resurrection is all about starting over again. All about renewal and fresh start out of nothing. And God's the God of the resurrection who can always empower to bring about the new again. And speaking of bringing about the new again, as I was uh, praying and working uh, to prepare for this sermon series, I kept thinking of an old Cynthia Clausen song that used to nourish my spirit and it used to feed my soul. And you'll be glad to know I won't sing it for you this morning, but I, I want you to look at the words because they become a powerful prayer. She used to sing, bring back the new again. I want to see you again. Bring back the way it was when we began. How did I miss the road? When did I lose the glow? And where did the wonder go? Bring back the new again.
I wonder if you've thought about that. How did I miss the road? When did I lose the glow? And this is maybe the most important question of the morning. Where did the wonder go? The wonder and the sheer joy of the believer's walk. Where did the wonder go? Can we get it back? Let's pray. Mighty God, we come into your presence as broken sinners in need of renewal. Feed our hungry souls and guide us into truth. With our heads bowed for just a few moments before we sing our response time, just a moment we'll stand and sing together. If you are here and uh, you don't have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, there's never been a time when you have named Him as your personal Lord and Savior, invited Him to come into your life. We want to invite you to this vibrant, dynamic relationship. Not a, not a set of rules, not church membership, but to a personal relationship with the living Christ. And if you're hungry for that this morning, during our response time, some of us will be here at the front to pray with you and to help you with that. I want to also extend the invitation to those who do want to join our church, transfer your membership here. But also, I want to offer this invitation to maybe right where you stand, begin the journey of catching fire again and being close to the Lord and loving in fresh and new ways. And Maybe you want to come and pray about that. Maybe right where you stand this morning uh, as we sing together, uh, you can talk to the Lord and begin a journey back. Amen.